0: Romans, the 14th chapter, and the 17th verse. Thank you for being in the church. Thank you for standing on this somewhat warm Wednesday evening. Sister Datha has a sweater on back there. What is wrong with all of you folks with sweaters? I see more people now that I'm looking around with sweaters. Look at it. What is? Okay. Anybody hot? Thank you for all those that are in unity with me here in church tonight. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Uh, For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Let's talk about righteousness, peace, and joy. Father, I love you and I thank you. How good is your word. Oh, I am saved by it again and again. Daily I am saved by it, God. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Great peace have all they which love thy law, nothing shall offend them. Thank you, God, for your word. Thank you, God, that we have it tonight to live by. I pray, help us to understand righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. And Lord, to understand what you want us to do to be saved. In Jesus' name, let the church say amen. amen. And you may be seated. God, anoint us all. It has always been. Now, I'm going I'm to try to stretch us here a little bit tonight about some things. And so, I need you to, to uh, walk with me in the word. and, and uh, Let's see where it leads us. It's always been in the nature of man to attempt to somehow confine God in ways that he could define and understand him. It's always been the nature of man to do that, to to confine God, to to somehow put him in a place where that they could uh, define him, understand him, confine him in a way, and to be able to humanize God, in in other words, Uh, in such a way that our limited understanding could get somewhat of a grasp of who God is and how he deals with his creation. So God in his all-knowing understanding of humanity began to reveal himself uh, to, to humanity in ways that could be seen and, and understood through, through his attributes um, and through what they needed him to be at the moment uh, where nothing else could be at that moment as to the answer that they needed from him. The Jehovah of the old that was their healer, Jehovah Rapha, uh, Jehovah Shalom, uh, uh, on and on, Jehovah Sidken, uh, uh All these things, he became their healer, their provider, their, their banner, their peace, their righteousness. In each episode or each time or each season that they needed him to be something, he became that for them so that they could understand that that is who he is. Each having a descriptive and defining title given to them so that they could better, better just understand God, that, that they could come into a relationship with him. And it was not just for their benefit, it was for ours as well. The picture that we see of God in the Old Testament allows us to understand that he is that as well for us in the New Testament. What we see of God in the Old Testament, we understand that he is that for us in the New Testament. He is our healer. He is our peace. Uh, He is our joy. He is our provider. Not limited to just attributes to call him by, but the all-sufficient name of Jesus to call on. It is not that I'm just calling to be my healer and alone my healer. I call him Jesus because his name is sufficient to be the healer of all things. Yeah. Jesus, God robed in the flesh, is in fact all that we need to keep and to save us. Yes. Right. Right. There is no new revelation that is coming. People are always What's looking for some new revelation, some new thing, some new mark ah. of the beast somewhere, uh, something that's going to happen along the way. There's not going to be a new revelation. There is the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's right. Read your Bible. Amen. From beginning to end, it is the revelation of Jesus. Matter of fact, if I open this up, it'll probably says that right at the beginning. The revelation of Jesus Christ. The entirety of the word from the beginning of Genesis, it is the reconciliation of man, humanity to Christ. That's right. The, the, the chasm that was created by sin. There is that bridge that God is, is allowing the atoning work to be through his son, Jesus Christ, that we might have life and we might have it more abundantly. Amen. Amen. But even in that revelation of Jesus, God manifested in the flesh, flesh, man still has the nature to try to compartmentalize God in in serving him. We want to break it down and and keep God in, in manageable pieces, if you would. That's the nature of humanity. We want God to be manageable. We want the things of God to be manageable, controllable areas of of living for him that too often make it more about our preferences of God and his kingdom and less about his purpose for us. Uh, We like preferences, while sometimes the purpose of God does not meet our preferences. Everybody understand that? The purpose of God in your life may not be the preference of your life, but the purpose of God is always greater. That's why we trust in the fact that he works all things together for our good, according to his Purpose, his plan, what he has in store, what he's doing, what he sees. Because he sees what? He sees the end from the beginning. He knows all there is to know. Everybody still with me? Say amen. amen. This was somehow of what it was in the book of Romans uh, that this 14th chapter was addressing. It was in regards primarily. Uh, now, he talked about love prior to this and them coming together in love in 13. But when you get to 14, he begins to talk about the problem of meats and days. Now, those who had become Christians, Jews that had become Christians... Uh, Romans, Gentiles, in other words, that had become Christians, uh, Romans, Gentiles, others from other beliefs, other false religions, and people that just simply did not believe in God. And then you had the Jews who had their tradition and their law that were coming in, and now all these Christians were coming into this, this melting pot, if you would, of the early church, the new church. And so all these things begin to mix and to be carried in from various beliefs, the various backgrounds, the traditions that they had in their upbringing, um, all the things that they had practiced. And so uh, what was happening here, they were having a difficulty in letting go of particular practices that had been in their life before. And it was not uh, that these things were, were only the only problems facing them in the New Testament church, the early church, but these at the moment were, were the things that were making the most noise. These were the things, everybody understand this? Pentecostal, hear me. These things were bred into them. What they were carrying into the new church, it was bred into them. They heard it every day of their life. It was what woke them up. It was what put them to bed at night. This was their tradition. This was their practice. Such as, in the Jewish sense, and in some outside sense, outside the Jewish religion, such as not eating. Not eating of certain things because of the Levitical law that had instructed them for generations not to do so now these were Jews that believed in Jesus everybody still with me these are Jews that had come into the church and so they had these practices they had these beliefs that they were carrying over. And as well, the observance of certain days or times being more important than, than other days because of their traditions, such as certain feasts, the Feast of the Tabernacles, or, or certain celebrations, the Passover, Pentecost, all these things. Had, they had been taught this for generations. They had practiced these things again and again. They were, they were life to them. So these new followers of Jesus Christ were trying to keep what they had been and what they even still were as they come to know Christ, Uh making their tradition of meats and days literally a matter of salvation. And we go back and we talk about a little bit more when when Jesus addressed uh, the fact that there were those that were uh, making the tradition of washing of hands and pots and cups literally not just a good habit, a healthy thing to do, but they were literally making it a practice of salvation, a practice of salvation. And so this was really the same thing. It was just about meats and, and, and days in, in, in the Romans and, and dealing with the Jews. So these new followers of Jesus Christ were trying to keep what they had been and what they were still, making their tradition of meats and days a matter of salvation. Right. Judging others who did not practice it the way that they thought it should or should not be practiced. Right. And that's what was happening here. They were looking, the early church was looking at one another, and they were sizing each other up. And they were deciding who was saved and not saved according to the practice or the lack thereof of meats and days. And so Paul said this: Look at this. Why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we all we we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And so Paul began to say in regards to the meats and days that were being debated here, and they were looking at one another and they were deciding who was in the church and who wasn't in the church. The jews were telling the gentiles you got to do this if you're going to be saved because they thought they still had to do that to be saved right and so paul looks at him and says why in the world are you judging one another no one had the right to judge another all had sinned yeah all everybody say all everybody in this place has sinned everybody in this place has sinned that's right and come short of the glory of god if you've been at this five days or 50 years all have sinned and come short of the glory of god no halos on our head nobody's arrived yet no everybody has sinned the same stone that would be cast at one could be picked up and cast back at another for the some or same transgression in their life as well and that's what paul was simply saying you can't judge one another everybody's got faults everybody's got something to work on uh, the Jews are carrying this in. The, uh, the Gentiles are carrying this tradition in. Right. And we've got to stop this bickering and complaining and sizing one another up and deciding who's going to make it and who's not. Right. 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 So then every one of us, look at this. So then every one of us, every one of us, this is talking to you and I, shall give an account of himself to God. Everybody hearing tonight in the sound of my voice and those that are not in the sound of my voice, and if anybody's watching or listening to this later on, everybody will give an account of themselves to God. That's right. That is not just reserved for the believer or the and not the, the, uh, not the unbeliever. It's, it's for every one of us, the believer and the unbeliever alike. We will give an account to God because every man is given a measure of faith. That's right. And because of that measure of faith, we are accountable to that measure. I need everybody to get this right now. Because of that measure of faith, we are accountable to that measure of faith. Okay. But not only that measure of faith that is given to every individual... The fact that the Word tells us in Romans as well that the very creation speaks to the existence of God. And because the very creation speaks to the existence of God, that, re- that takes away any excuse or justification that we can put on ourselves to say that we did not know or that we do not believe. Because nature itself tells us there is a God. Amen. And because we have that measure of faith put in within us all, that faith must be activated and built upon and believed on. And we believe in the God of all creation. Um, And so he wanted to be known. Everyone will give an account. Then now, some of our, our greatest struggles, hear me, some of our greatest struggles come from our constant comparison and measurement of our lives against other people. And theirs against ours. Our... We, we deal with such a constant struggle within church realms because we are constantly comparing ourselves to other people, Come on. both in success and failure, thinking that we might be spiritual and they're not or whether we are not spiritual enough. Right. And so we begin to compare ourselves. And the word told us to be careful when we begin to compare ourselves to other, others because when we do that, we will begin to divide and bower, devour one another. Right, yeah. right. When we are, com- everybody get with me right now. When we are comparing ourselves to other people in the church, it is easy to talk about them. It It is easy to gossip about them. It is easy to say things about them the way that we judge them or the way we judge ourselves in or out of the church. Amen. Don't compare yourself to somebody across the aisle sitting in front of you or back of you. Amen. Everybody's on this journey to heaven and at a different place and a different pace. And every one of us are learning along the way. I will tell you, at at 60 years of age and and been at this all my life and been behind a pulpit for most of my life, can I tell you, I am still learning things about the goodness and grace of God that I have never understood before. I still have a lot to learn. And every one of us in this church do. And so there should not be a license that we feel that we have that we can compare ourselves to others and feel free to say something about other people. Amen. I'll pause there for effect. Um, amen. Amen. Uh, let us therefore, let us not therefore, let us not therefore, got to put that not in there. Let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this rather that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. Once there comes the knowledge, let us not judge any more. Let's stop judging. Now that we know, now that we know what's right, everybody getting this word? now that we know what's right let's stop doing that that's what he was saying and that's what it's being said to us don't judge others and don't become or put a stumbling block that causes another to fall um it should be that we want all to live for God presently and eternally I hope everybody in this house I believe now I know I'm preaching to the choir tonight because you're here on a Wednesday night Um, but the truth of the matter is, it should be that we want everybody to be saved. There shouldn't be any hope in our mind for anyone to have calamity in their life that would cause them to be lost. And it should not be that we make it difficult for anybody to get into the church. It should not be that we, we do our best to keep the doors closed. It should be that we do our best to keep the doors open. Doorkeepers not judging people out. I was reading about the doorkeepers of the, of the tabernacle temple today. Uh, we are not called to be doorkeepers to keep people out, to see who has a right to get in or out, get in the temple. We Go are on. doorkeepers to keep the door open now. And I've talked to you about this before because it's one of my most favorite things in the Word of God. The veil of the temple was rent from top to bottom. Hallelujah. It was not rent from bottom to top. That's right. So when, mercy, when, mercy, when the mercy seat was accessed, it was accessed because it was rent from top to bottom. Some 30 feet high, some 6 inches Thick. It had to be a God thing. Yes. So, so let's not try to sew it up. Come on. Amen. Come on. Let's make sure we get everybody that we can in before it's too late. Amen. Amen. Uh, it should be that we want everyone to be saved. Not not waiting and watching for them to fall, but finding a way that that we can help them make it. That we can help them navigate difficult territory spiritually. And then he says this in verse 17, that the, look at this, that the kingdom of God, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in, in the Holy Ghost. Um, with his word, he strikes this line that immediately determines uh, definition for them. They were making the kingdom of God about their preferences, their appetite, so to speak. They, they were making it about their preference, their... Uh, their appetite and meats and drinks, in other words, the way they wanted it to be, the way they were used to it being certain days being better than another day. And, and if you didn't celebrate it, well, then you weren't going to be saved. And if you ate that, well, you, you definitely are not going to heaven. Uh, and so they begin to have these things. And, and, and yes, now understand this. Yes, they wanted Jesus. Yes, they believed in Christ. They believed in the, uh, that what he did for them was enough but they thought they had to add to it to make it better. They wanted to hold on to the law and the tradition that they were comfortable with. And to them, those things those things were saving them. They were saving them. They were the saving work that was being done in their life. But Paul wanted them to realize their salvation. Everybody still with me? Say amen. Have I lost you? I told you I'm going to make a stretch just a little bit tonight. So just, I need everybody to get the, the deeper word here. Uh, Paul wanted them to realize their salvation was was not brought about by those things, the meats and the days. Um, But it was freely offered to them by the sacrificial work of Jesus Christ at Calvary. He saved them, not the law. He saved them, not the meat. He saved them, not the day. Um, It was his blood, his life, that opened the door to salvation for them. Uh, Once in the end of the world, Hebrews said, he opened the door, he made the way, he gave access whereby we cry, of a Father. We have access to God. You have access to God tonight. Yeah. The creator of, creator of all creation, the most high and holy, one, the sovereign God because of Calvary. Come on. Thank God. And the kingdom of God, he wanted them to know the kingdom of God. Wants you and I to know the kingdom of God is much bigger than meats and drinks and days that they were making it out to be. It was not about their preference. It was about his purpose. That's right. It was not about what they liked or did not like. It was about what he wanted for them and how he the price. The kingdom of God, he said, is three things. Now, I'm not going to do a very good job at breaking all three of these down, but just stick with me. We'll we'll mainly deal with righteousness and we'll quickly touch on on, uh, peace and joy. But uh, nonetheless, he said these three things, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. This is what the kingdom of God was, he said. Now, this is extremely important to understand what he was saying here. He he said, uh, he said first righteousness. Righteousness, um, now righteousness, it's, it's one of those words that that most of the time people like to throw around and use, but we really have a difficulty in truly defining what righteousness is. We talk about it a lot, we use it a lot, but we really don't know what it is. And it's difficult for us to grasp because we're just not that righteous. Okay, I'm not that righteous. Maybe you are, I don't know. Um, The truth of the matter is we're just really not that righteous, so it's really difficult for us to really comprehend true righteousness. Righteousness. Um, let me try to describe it in my own words if I may and and no doubt I'll come up short and really explaining it and I'll tell you why here in just a moment righteousness is when the atoning blood of Jesus Christ is applied to our life and we in faith through repentance accept that forgiveness and acceptance of God and we are filled with his spirit and we're enabled to live a right life that follows God's Word and spirit and ultimately pleases him that is righteousness in a nutshell, that's righteousness in a layman's terms. Um, now, that's a limited view and a definition for me. For the truth is, God is righteous, and we cannot completely understand God. We can get a, gri- a grasp, a little bit of a grasp, about a little bit of a grip on it, but we can't fully see and understand the totality of God, His vastness, His greatness. And so we can only get what our mind can comprehend. Uh, God is not defined by the term righteous as much as the term righteous is defined by God. Does that make sense to you? It's not that I can and say, well, God is righteous. Yes, God is righteous because God is righteous. He is righteousness. He is perfection. Mm -hmm. God is righteous. He is perfect. And he enables you and I to be righteous because of his atonement at Calvary for us. I'll never forget Brother Ed Richardson. He's not here. Uh, he's, he's primarily at home. He got COVID back right at the very tail end of the pandemic. And I talk to him every now and then. And, and uh, anyway, his health has deteriorated due to that sickness that he had to battle. Uh, and, and so we miss him desperately. He's such a good man and full of faith. But I'll never forget he met me up here at the altar one night after I talked about holiness. He said, you know, I, know, I, I realized one night, he said, I, I realized that I'll never be holy enough. He said, no matter what I do, I'll never be holy enough. And I said, you're right. He said, but you know what else I really He said? I realize that I just have faith in God that he will will make up the difference. That's really what righteousness is. I do my best to be obedient to the word and the righteousness of God and his goodness makes up the difference where I cannot do it myself. Like those Paul was addressing in Romans, no amount of works, no amount of works will ever be good enough to make us righteous or accepted of God. No amount of works, no amount of days, and no amount of meats getting it right and all the things that we often line up. So it must be understood this way. Righteousness is not attained by works, but works are a response or reaction to the righteousness wow, that God gives us. Yeah, that's good. So I'm not going to make myself righteous. If you're still with me say amen. amen. I'm not going to make my, you're not going to make yourself righteous by some work that you do. Getting good enough, being good enough. But the righteousness that God gives us makes us have a response of works in our life that we do many think that there need not be now Everybody, stick with me on this many think that there need not be disciplines or works in their life that is far from the truth um the truth is if we are truly righteous then there will be works that will be manifested from the right nature of god that's within us if we're really righteous we're going to do something in our life to display the righteousness of god we're going to have fruits of the spirit we're going to have gifts of the spirits operating we're going to have first and foremost love if we don't get love right All the other gifts that follow uh, are misaligned. Because love is primary. The greatest of these is, is love. And so... But right, that righteousness of God is, is the manifested presence of God in our life, the right nature that God gives us. The unfortunate thing here in Romans, in, in modern day church for that matter, is that we try to break God and his kingdom down in, into manageable pieces. And so, because when we do that, it becomes something that we can control, and we can approve, and we can disapprove of, and we can really spruce up the area that we like and, and neglect the things that we don't like. And we make this particular subject, everybody still okay on the left-hand side over here? We make this particular subject our candy stick, or we make this particular, everybody okay on the right-hand side? i got to keep you involved as well. Um, we We make this particular subject something we really like, so we'll talk about it a lot, and we'll spruce it up, and we'll make it really appealing. No, it's the whole picture. And it's not about one thing that we get on a soapbox about or or one thing that we disagree with over here. It's about the fact that Jesus Christ did the atoning work for you and I at Calvary. And it's not anything that we can do to ever merit it. But because he did it for us and has given it to us freely, then we respond by the works in our life. Not to merit salvation, but that we come to him because of his justification. And he loves us and we love him. Amen. Amen. When... When we do these things, we try to say what is and, and what is not godly or what is or is not righteous, and we measure others' righteousness by our, uh, by our tape measure, so to speak, just like they were doing in Romans, and those who were not eating what they thought was right and observing certain days that they thought uh, should or should not be observed. God is not measured. Please hear me. God is not measured by a standard of righteousness. Rather, God sets the standard of righteousness. And so we can't confine God to be what we think he has to be or, or what we think we want it to be, and this is how we think it, it always should be. And that person, if they don't do this or they don't do that, then, then they're not saved. Can I tell you, if we're in obedience to the Word of God, repenting and baptize, being baptized in his name and filled with his spirit, living a holy life, obedience to the Word, then we're doing, we're doing our best to make it. Amen? And I really... I really think sometimes we need to cut each other a little bit more slack and understand yes, yes. that we are all sinners saved by grace, That's right. and we're all coming into a fuller understanding of God and the things of God, and we haven't arrived yet. So let's enjoy the journey together instead of pulling one another down and becoming a stumbling block. Amen. 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 God is just and He is perfect, and He is consistently God, not like man who can change and be moved by fad or fashion or shallow emotion. God Amen. is God. And living for God and being a part of his kingdom and being saved must be understood in in that way. Uh, It's not about us defining God. It's about God defining us. I'm going to say that again because I really do believe that. It is not about us defining God. It is about God defining us. We get that backwards. We think that we've got to define God. Amen. If we learn to just let God define us, this journey is going to be a whole lot more enjoyable. Amen. Righteousness given by God. And then he said, peace in themselves and among themselves. Peace, righteousness, peace, and joy. Peace is an evident fruit of the righteousness or right standing with God. Peace is an evident fruit of righteousness in our life. Peace is an evident fruit of right standing with God. We have peace in our own life and peace with others because we have justification from God's grace. Everybody understand this tonight. If you really want peace in your life, then you need the justification. You need the justification of the name of Jesus on your life. You need to be covered by the blood of the lamb. You need to be buried with him in baptism. And you need the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Because when you have that justification, When you have that justification in your life, then you have peace with God. And everything that surrounds you can be in turmoil, but because you know that you are saved, you have peace. Many lack peace because they're trying to make up for it in other ways by their own works. And many think if they do enough or be enough or holy enough, then peace will be produced. If I just work hard enough, I'm going to have peace. No, if you try to work your way into this, you're constantly going to be frustrated. But if you trust Jesus Christ... If you believe that he, God, robed himself in flesh and went to that cross and died and was buried in that tomb. and ro- I know this is basic, elemental stuff, but it's the truth. Died in truth it's, and died and rose again. Can I tell you, you can have justification in your life. Yes. Amen. Peace yes. is a product of, of faith that he did enough already and we bear the fruit of what he accomplished for us. My God. My God. Righteousness, Righteousness, peace, joy. Everybody say joy. Joy is the constant condition of a life that is saved by Jesus Christ. Yeah. I believe that. Uh-huh. Joy is not conditional on circumstances. It is not con- it's not contingent on, on what others do or what right. others do not. Right. I I really believe we have mistaken uh we have mistaken happiness uh to be the thing that we are in pursuit of. Right. I really don't believe. Everybody stick with me on this because I, I recognize this is a little thin ice on some people's theology, but, but I really believe the Bible supports this. I don't know that we are meant to pursue happiness, right. but I do believe that we are to draw waters out of the wells of salvation with joy. With joy. I I think, that, I think that too many people are looking for happiness because happiness is contingent on items. It's contingent on climate. Mm-hmm. It's contingent upon circumstance, conditional. Right. But joy... You can have joy when everything's going wrong. Amen. Because it's given by the Holy Ghost. Our joy is full because of the saving work of Jesus. We don't have to work it up. It's, it's there because he is there in our heart. Look at this last two verses, and I'm, I'm going to close. Uh, for he that in these things serveth Christ, what things? Righteousness, peace, and joy. He that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved to men. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify Another. When these things are present in our life, when we serve Jesus in this way, we are accepted of God and we are approved of men. When we serve Him from that place of righteousness, understanding righteousness and peace and joy, then we have approval of God and we have approval of men. Thank you, Lord. And we dwell in that peace. Follow after these things, pursue these things, in other words. Uh, these things bring peace and edify, or, or in other words, build up others. I am thankful that we can look at one another. We have a unique church and we have a unique culture that we're in right now. And can I tell you, everybody stick with me on this, it's not gonna get any easier. It's gonna get a little bit more difficult. The closer that we come to the, to the return of the Savior, things will intensify. And so can I tell you, you need to have a deep relationship with God right now. Have a relationship that's not looking at somebody else trying to keep them in or out of the church. But a relationship in your life that recognizes that we are all sinners saved by grace. And we trust in what he did for us at Calvary. If we're righteous, it's because he is righteous. If we have peace, it's because he has given us peace. If we have joy in our life, it's because the joy of the Lord is our strength. And so I want to live in a way that is not constantly bickering and sizing one another up. And looking who uh, I think is saved or not saved. But I want to recognize that if I look to him, the savior of my life jesus christ and i want everybody else to know him in that way can i tell you i can live in peace and we can make it to heaven and god will be glorified because of it would you stand and lift your hands and your hearts and just thank god right now for his goodness and his grace and the fact that he died for you at calvary and you have the opportunity to live for him to repent and be baptized in his name and filled with the holy ghost amen that you have been made alive by him hallelujah thank you god Thank you, God, that you are hope. I love you, Lord, and I believe in you. Amen. In Jesus' name, let the church say amen. Amen. Greet your brothers and sisters on the way out of here. Love on them. Tell them how much they mean to you, and we're going to go to heaven together and be thankful for it. God bless you. I love you. I'll see you here Sunday. In Jesus' name, amen.